Welcome to Become an Idol. I'm Dr. Robin Sargent, owner of Idol Courses. This is the place where newbies come to learn and veterans share their knowledge. I have here with me today, Teresa Franco-Macaro, and she is the founder of Why Story Works, and she focuses specifically on instructional design storytelling. But Teresa, would you do a better job of introducing yourself and telling us who you are and what it is that you do? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Robin, and thank you for inviting me to be on your Idol podcast. I am a storyteller. I help people put their best stories to work so that they can live and work on point and on purpose. So storytelling is an art. And the great news is storytelling can be taught. So I've spent my life helping people tell the right story at the right time to the right audience to get the right results. That is a wonderful summary. And I just need to, I always ask every guest that I have, like, where did you start out? How did you get into instructional design specifically? And yes. so were you ever an instructional designer? Did you ever make a transition to that career? Or did you just kind of find it as you were creating stories? So Absolutely. Well, of course, I've got a story about it, don't you know? <laughs> so I was six years old and I found myself on the stage telling the story of uh, Goldilocks and the Three Bears as the narrator of our puppet show. And I was chosen by our first grade teacher because I had the biggest mouth. And uh, what happened was the story's going sideways and I jump in there and I say, uh, excuse me, she meant to say, and then the story kind of got back on track. So it was at that point that I knew I was a storyteller. So fast forward, I got a master's degree in performance from NYU. I had my own theater company for a while. I wrote my first play that ran for five years. And then I've always been in sales, you know, so as those of us in the performing arts know, you've got to have a side hustle. So I've always been selling something. And that led me to corporate training because everybody needs to learn how to sell something in a way that's going to activate what we call the CTA or the call to action. So about 20 years I spent in adult learning. I've got a certification in adult learning. I'm a certified Dale Carnegie instructor. Like I said, I have a master's degree performance from NYU and an undergrad in theater from TSU. So I love it. I love stories and I love sales and I love helping people activate uh, emotions to drive results because we all know as learners, we've got to get them to do something, right? So what's the point of all this training if you're not going to get some type of behavior change? Because dreams without actions can turn into nightmares of regret. And we don't want that with our training. (laughs) Yeah. And so when did you start really just focusing on this piece of it, which is storytelling and instructional design, because that's very specific. I definitely see all the transferable skills from theater and sales um, to learning. And so I'm just wondering, like, when did you focus on Yeah, great question. So it was about five years ago, I was working for a Fortune 500 company and I was doing customer service training at that point and helping activate a team of learners that maybe had a very low job approval rating. And it was really tough. 
And we heard that the whole team was getting outsourced and sent to the corporate U.S. headquarters back east. And so it was at that point, I'm like, hey, why don't I strike out on my own? I was always already doing vendor trainings for certain partners like Dale Carnegie. And I said, hey, let's get to it. So I started Why Story Works and I got going on doing instructional design for vendor partners as well as Why Story Works. And then, of course, you know, three years ago, the uh, pandemic hit. And so I had to do a huge pivot because you have to pivot or perish. And so that's when I really got into more of the online training and more of the videos and more of the one-on-one executive coaching that I do in addition to group trainings. Well, I have done a very good job of holding back because all I really want to ask you, Teresa, is to get to this part, which is Tell me more about how you connect story to neuroscience, because I'm I'm fascinated with what you have to say about that and what kind of connections you can make for those listening. Absolutely. So we all know there's a there are so many resources out there and storytelling is definitely having a moment right now. And if you Google storytelling, you can see a zillion books. And so I got really fascinated with this. And I, I've been reading a lot with John Medina's book, his seminal book, Brain Rules, where he says the brain does not pay attention to boring things. I'm sure you know that book. And I also was delving into Dr. Zach's work on what motivates behaviors, as well as JP Phillips in his, in his podcast, Angels and Demons, the, the idea about how we can move through and find ways to activate learners. And so being in the theater, I know that we're always searching for what we call the motivation of the scene or what's my MacGuffin. And when we think about a MacGuffin, it's basically the desire or what does the main character want? That's the idea in storytelling. So in training, you have to think about where is my learner now and what do they need to hear? In other words, what do we want them to think, feel, and or do differently as a result of this training? So that's when I came up with this idea of if you don't want your audience to flee, F. L-L-E-A, you need to activate what I call the five neurochemicals inherent in any good story. So you want to know what they are? Of course I do. I'm writing, I'm taking notes. (laughs) So here we go. The first one is fear. So think about fear. It's uh, when we experience fear, we get a release of cortisol and that's that fight, flight, flee or freeze mentality. So if you know your learner is experiencing fear, you need to activate some stories that are going to reduce that cortisol. Or let's imagine your learner is having a hard time focusing. They're like all over the place, like, you know, shiny object syndrome. You need to slow down and get that learner to focus because cortisol also helps your learner focus. So that's the first one, fear. Release cortisol, what are we doing with this cortisol? Because fear is not always a bad thing. So that's that's one. Number two, love. So think about it, love, ah, that's the release of dopamine. So the thing about dopamine, it's a neurochemical response that only stays in the body for about 90 seconds. So, you know, marketers know that dopamine is a powerful response, right? That's why they get you to fall in love. And that's why you'll find yourself on your phone scrolling through like, 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 right? (laughs) 
for your audience, if you know, let's say you got a new hire and she or he is worried about where they're coming from or or is this the right choice I made? Maybe you should start your, your training with some love stories about the company and about what they can love, about what they're doing there. I mean, I don't know about you, Dr. Robin, but how many times have you seen an onboarding program and they start with the company history, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like snorefest, right? Who cares? You know, you've got to get your audience activated and you need to do it soon. So you could tell some love stories and keep sprinkling them in like little breadcrumbs so that your audience can stay engaged. So that's love, dopamine. The third neurochemical response inherent in any good story is longing or the release of serotonin. It's how I feel after I I eat a big bowl of pasta. It's that, oh, I'm so chill, right? So I'm reminded of, let's say, what happened with the pandemic and everybody was stressed and anxious and nobody was feeling calm. So if you know there is this influx of stress and and people are really anxious, you need to calm down and let your learner rest for a bit. Maybe you do some think writing activities or maybe you do some silence or maybe you put on some really soothing music. So that's the serotonin release. The fourth neurochemical inherent in any good story is what we call the oxytocin or the mirroring or that empathy hormone. And empathy is huge, huge, huge. And everyone knows that oxytocin is released. It's like, you know, Mother's Day is coming up, right? So when when the mom is nursing the baby, you know, the oxytocin and the baby sees the mom and they mirror and they say, oh, you get me, right? So if you know your learner is feeling out of sorts or they want somebody to understand them, everybody is longing for understanding. You want to sprinkle in some stories that are going to release oxytocin or that mirroring chemical so that the audience feels, oh, get me. I'm not alone. This is okay. And then last and certainly not least is action. So this is the release of what we call adrenaline. So, uh, you know, many times when let's say I'm doing a sales training or you'll see VPs of sales do their, you know, their sales roundup at the end, you're always going to see them leave with a big, strong call to action or go forth and conquer, right? So that's your adrenaline that's kicking in there. So again, you want to get them to Act. So you think through your, your training modules and you say to yourself, hmm, where's my learner now and what story do they need or what do I need to do right now inside of my instructional design to activate one or all of those fear, love, longing, empathy and action hormones, cortisol, dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin and adrenaline. So that's that's my my short answer for how to activate your learner and how to do instructional design using the five neurological responses inherent in any good story. Okay, so now you already said Teresa, this is very good. So you've yeah. already said that you can use one or all of them and it's kind of based on where your learner is. But yes. It's not really necessarily that you want to trigger all of these things throughout the entire course in any type of order. It's more about where are they? What do they need? What do they need in this moment? Yes. And the more you can activate at any given time, the more your audience and the amygdala is going to go, whoop. You know, you got to remember that a story, listen, when I just say once upon a time, your, your brain's like, ooh, 
what, what, once upon a time, oh, I can kick back. I can relax. This is story time. The brain loves stories and the brain cannot tell whether it, the story is happening to them or it's happening to you. So if you're a really good storyteller, you're going to start activating all of those responses inside the brain so that your audience is waking up. So again, you got to think about where is your audience and what do they need? And maybe you need to throw in a story that starts with a little serotonin and chill that then moves to a call to action, right? You, you just really have to think through what is the best story at this time. And it, it can't be about you. It's got to be about your audience. So when you are unpacking this for people who are learning how to activate these different things, um, yeah. Is there any kind of combination? Is it more about, like you said, more combinations can create more of a, yeah. uh, an experience for your listeners? Um, is there any kind of combination that you don't advise or that you yeah. say like this one works really well or absolutely just like, what's like the, the practical call to action? I want to include more. I want to include the fleas, if you will, in yeah. my, <laughs> on my, in my training. And yeah. so, um, do, do I can just, Pick any one of these. Yes. Or, yeah. Tell me. So, 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 Dr. Robin, what you need to understand is that as trainers, as LD professionals, we need to have an arsenal of stories that mm -hmm. are ready to go at any moment, depending on what's happening in our training. So, for example, I'll tell you a quick little story. I was doing a customer service training for a group of uh, folks in healthcare. And they were stressed. I mean, imagine, right? In the middle of healthcare during the pandemic and everyone's calling and screaming like, what? get going. And all of a sudden, somebody in the audience starts saying, well, you know, because I gave them intentional preparation for the night before. And, you know, I'm asking them and we're doing a debrief and somebody starts throwing one of the employees under the bus. And I'm like, oh, my God, this 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 training is going sideways fast. Right. Has that ever happened to you? Right. That it's getting hijacked by some other things that are not part of the agenda. And right. I'm like, you know, I could sit here and I could, you know, push through my agenda or I could stop and I could tell a story. And I could stop and let them have a conversation. And so you have to have enough stories in your arsenal around those five topics, fear, love, longing, empathy, and action, and practice them and know when to pop them out when your audience needs it. So what I help people do is put them in a category. So where are your fear stories? Where are your love stories? Where are your serotonin stories or, or your, your calming stories? Where are your empathy stories? Where are your action stories? And then design your training around it and then be able to at a moment's notice to pop that story in if need be. I think most people would probably be like, okay, I can come up with a love story, a longing one, empathy. Mm -hmm. I can get that. Um, action that one seems really easy. What about yes. a fear story? Could you give me an example of what a fear story looks like? Oh, well, yeah. Well, I, I say there are three golden rules to story. Be real, be relevant, be brief. Okay. And I also teach people how to tell a story in two minutes or less, and we can get to that in a moment. But in order to answer your question, I'm going to make it real, relevant, and brief. This week, I was having a touch base with my administrative assistant, and I'm like, you know, we really got to update the website. We got to get more real content. And our LinkedIn page is, is, is not showing. And, and our YouTube channel really just needs to have more active content. And I'm going down the list, right? And I'm like, in fear. And my administrative assistant, Ingrid, who's amazing, she says, well, what are you doing right now? 
And I'm like, uh, I don't know. She goes, oh, like, how about I come on over and we, we record some good stuff right now. And the fear part of me was like, no way, not doing it. I'm not ready. I can't do it. And I pushed through that fear. I came outside my comfort zone and she came over to my house. She was there within an hour. And after four hours of spending time together, we had some real new relevant content and stay tuned. Some of your audience, by the time this airs, will see some of it. We're doing a whole Mother's Day podcast or video series. So that is an example of how fear can stop you, right? You have to push through your fear and get to it and start acting. And I was all over the place. My focus was gone. And my my administrative assistant landed me and helped me get real and push through that fear. So that is a simple example And that is an ability to have those storytelling moments ingrained in my brain because I'm trained to do it. I think and I see them all the time. You know, so many times people say to me, well, Teresa, I don't have any stories. I don't don't think in the back, in the rear view. I'm always forward thinking. I have a growth mindset. I'm like, yeah, of course you do. And everybody's got stories. It's just a muscle. It's just a discipline when we train ourselves to see them. And then we know that that's a story worthy moment. There's there's a great book by Matthew Dix called Story Worthy. I'm reading it now. And he talks about every night, go at the end of the day, jot down one, two or three story worthy moments and jot down a couple little catch images to help you remember them. And then you'll have a treasure trove of stories ready to go. What a great way to journal too. Yeah. Yeah. Just capture little stories that happen in the day. Yeah. Yeah. And and anything can be a story. So for example, I do a lot of of work with toys. I must have 250 toys in a toy chest and I'll put a toy out there. And sometimes people get stuck, right? They're like, I don't know what to say. Like, you know, I could throw this pen up here and I could say, how is your life right now? Like this pen. And they're like, oh, you know, and all of a sudden they've got a story around it because the brain loves stories. We were born natural storytellers. We've just forgotten how. So I help people refine and retune and mine those golden nuggets that are there and put them to work, right? It's not a to have a story. You got to know how to work that story and when to update that story. It's like I say, you got to have a story wardrobe, right? You know, years ago, I used to sell cosmetics and they would talk about mascara wardrobing. Have you ever heard of that phrase? (laughs) You're probably like, what are you talking about? I do have several mascaras, so I think I might have a mascara wardrobe. So you know what I'm talking about. So as instructional designers, we have to have a story wardrobe and we have to be able to update our stories and make them real and relevant and brief. So I was listening to one of your most recent podcasts with Ethan about mind, mind. Yeah, yeah. I was fascinated. I'm doing so much work and reading right now on chat GPT and AI and how that affects the L&D space and what we do. And, you know, there's this big fear that we're going to become irrelevant, right? Just let the robot do it, right? (laughs) Just plug it into AI or mind shift and there you go. There's your content. And I challenge that notion because the only thing that's going to differentiate us is our stories. The story is a differentiator. That's it. It's our secret sauce. It's the only thing we have that the robot can't duplicate. So... Again, I'm going to tell you a zillion stories and you just have to stop me. (laughs) I remember I joined this Noom, I don't know, years ago. You know, Noom. Noom, I love Noom. It's such a great example of 
of instructional design too, but I don't want to steal your thunder. Keep going, Teresa. Yeah, so, so you know how Noom they they set you up with a coach, right? And they and the coach, you know, sets you, you know, conversations. And I and I immediately said to the coach, "Are you?" a real person or are you a robot? And she's like, oh, no, no, I'm a real person. And I could tell she was a real person because she interacted with me like a real person. And so what we need in instructional design is not simply more tools to make us robotic. We need more stories to make us more human. That's the key. Because the emotions that get activated when we tell stories, they drive action. And the action is going to drive your CTA or your call to action. And again, that's going to drive your ROI. I remember, again, many years ago when I was doing sales training, leadership training, and product knowledge training for Fortune 500 companies, my teams always had the highest sales. And I remember my VP of of training came to me and she's like, you know, everybody, they're asking for you. And I'm like, okay. And, and I'm like, well, okay. What made me a different trainer was we had all the product knowledge. We all had the same deck. I would go in there and I'd say, you know, I'm going to teach you this product knowledge for sure. And I'm going to teach you how to sell it. Yeah. Yeah. Because again, all the product knowledge in the world isn't going to help you sell it. So I would then take the products and I'd say, throw out a persona or throw out a challenge. And then I'd spin it and customize it to a story that's going to help that client reach their MacGuffin. In other words, what they want, their desire. MacGuffins are simply, you know, think about it like in story structure in Harry Potter, it's the Horcruxes in Harry Potter, or it's the Pleasures in Lord of the Rings, right? So what does your learner want? Does your learner want to be an ace salesperson? Does your learner want to get promoted? Does your executive want to give an all-hands meeting that's going to show them as a human? Again, when you can figure out as an instructional designer what the learner ultimately wants and then reverse engineer your, your training to give them that, oh, it's magic. It's magic. So speaking of personas, that kind of leads me to my next question, which is what are some of the things that you do to determine your learner's motivation? Are you creating personas and doing like a empathy type of map or what, what are, what's your process that you would tell people to do in order to discover their MacGuffin and their yes. motives and yeah. their persona and really also to identify which pieces of the flea model that they yeah. need to activate at different times? What does that upfront work look like? Oh, such, such a great question, Dr. Robin. And what I'll always do is I'll start with my chunk outline. It's a free template that's on my website, www.ystoryworks.com. You can download it. And it's designed for a two minute story again, which is something I really believe in. And I use it every single time I'm designing a training. So I start off with what is it that I want my learner to think, feel, and or do differently? And you can't have too much stuff, you know, one, three things, five max. People remember things in threes and fives. The brain loves that. Anymore, your brain has cognitive overload and it's done. 
And I also share with people that you want to do them in three, three minute chunks. And you might say, what? So about nine minutes times three. I mean, there's a reason why TED Talks are 18 minutes because the brain, again, John Medina, brain rules, you know, the brain can't handle too much of it and it needs to digest it. So you need to have some time-phased learning approaches and then you need to make sure that you build in the practice because again, training dumps don't work. We need time for skills practice. And so that skills practice piece has to be really important to your instructional design, as well as giving people time to think about it and to meditate on it and reflect on it. What went well, what didn't go well. So I usually start with that premise and then I reverse engineer. And then I think, where's my learner? And then I also have an arsenal of stories in each category, fear, love, longing, empathy, and action that are going to help activate my learner's emotion around the topic I'm training on. Because the emotion is going to drive the action and the action drives the results. You can't just think about it. You got to actually do something. I'll agree. Completely agree. And so... One of the things that you've ever, a lot of us have, we've ever done any kind of digging into instructional storytelling. And I even talk about it in my book. And that is that you can go to your subject matter experts to yep. pull stories. Do you ever yep. do that? Or is it more about having your own arsenal of stories or is it a combo of both or? Oh, yeah. Both? Absolutely. You you need to get the experts in the room talking. In fact, when I do my one-on-one executive coaching, I use this technique I called hold mold toss. <laughs> and you might be like, what What's the heck? last word? The hold mold and what? Toss, T-O-S-S. Okay. So imagine, imagine you're going to a subject matter expert and imagine you're playing baseball with them and you ask them to throw you their expertise. So they throw it to you and then you got to hold it and then mold it, massage it, and then say, okay, what about this? And then toss it back to them. If you let their expertise just whiz on by you and drop like a thud in the middle of the field, well, what good is that? I mean, that's not going to help anybody. So you got to figure out a way to take that expertise and then package it up and say, okay, so this is what I'm hearing you say. And then you got to put your spin on it. You got to think about what is my learner? need at this moment? Do I need to take that SME's idea and then turn it into a fear story or a love story or a serotonin story or an empathy story or a call to action story, an adrenaline story? And I'm using the word story in many different ways here because, you know, that's my thing. And stories, you can insert that for learning module right? You can insert that for what I want the audience or the learner to take away right now. So there is an objective and then you reverse engineer it. This is basic story structure. I didn't make this stuff up. I I make up these simple ways to help me remember it because the mnemonics are what help me understand how to do this and be able to do it quickly. Um, So for example, I have something I call the ICE method, Do you want to know what that is? Of course I do. (laughs) Tell me. 
so again, this is where you can mine your own stories or you could help your subject matter experts mine their stories by telling them about the ICE method. And basically, it's this is taken from Freitag's storytelling triangle or Pixar's triangle of or Pixar's story method. I didn't make this up. I just helped create a mnemonic to help me remember it. So this is what I tell folks. All of a sudden, what you're doing in the two minute story, you're moving along and, you know, you've got a grabber to hook your audience and then something changes. Boom. So that's what we call the inciting incident. And so that's the I and ice. So because of the inciting incident, something changes. So then C, we get conflict. And because of that, we get conflict. And because of that, we finally get, oh, okay. So, so I, C, C, and then finally E, there's an ending. In other words, why does it matter? In other words, why should we care? So you want to end your story strong. You want to, what I call Nadia Comaneci it or stick the landing. You know, you got to Simone Biles it. You got to stick that landing. People remember the beginnings and ends of things. So begin strong and end strong. I hope I answered your question. I can't remember where we were going, but you get me talking about stories and I am off to the races. <laughs> no, I, well, I, you covered it. I mean, I was talking about like, you know, how do you pull stories from subject matter experts? And we talked about the hold, mold and toss. And then mm-hmm. you talked about the ICE method for story structure. I think yeah. that it's probably time, Teresa, for you to tell us how how we can write stories in two minutes or less. Uh, 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 there we go. So you can find the chunk outline. You can find it on my website. I've also got a quick little two minute video on it. The first thing you need to do in the first 10 to 15 seconds is you need to have a grabber or you need to hook your audience. So sometimes that can come in the form of a question or a statistic or a really uh, like ooh, curious quote. So here's one for you. I'll see if this entices you to listen. Once I fantasized about having an affair with the chef at the embassy suites. Are you listening? Of course I am. (laughs) You're leaning in, right? Yeah. So so that's my opener, right? That's 10, 15 seconds. And then I might move to who here has ever found themselves in a sticky situation. And you're like, how the heck did I get here? And now I can spin that. So today, what we're going to do as instructional designers, we're going to take you through a method that's going to help you handle any sticky situation at any time. So you too can get your audience and your learner on track and on method. Boom. So there you go. There's my hook. Then I told them what I'm going to tell them. And then I start going to where were you? What were you doing? So I say, for example, the next minute, 60 to 90 seconds, this is your inciting incident. So I'm in a training and now I'll go back to that uh, healthcare training, right? And the training all of a sudden starts going sideways because somebody's throwing somebody under the bus. And then I'll, I'll give a little bit more conflict, conflict, conflict until I say what finally happened. So then you spend about 90 seconds or so saying about what finally happens. And then the last 30 seconds, you stick the landing and you say something like, so my advice to you or the next time you find yourself in, try this or do this. And then you got to get the benefit. So let me stick the landing for that opener, right? Because I'm not going through the whole 90 seconds. I'll say, so the next time you find your, your, your training getting hijacked by a difficult learner, tell a story. 
that the learner needs to hear, and you'll get your training on track and on time. Thank you very much. Right. So, so you got to have that action benefit model. This is something I practice all the time in my Dale Carnegie trainings, as well as when I'm doing story coaching for job activation or sales training. You've got to end with why is this story important and why should we care? And what do we need to do? So it's it's marketing or sales 101. You got to put your CTA in the beginning and at the end, because that's what people remember. And you got to keep them active with your conflict, conflict, conflict. And what happened? Right. So the thing that came to my mind, Teresa, when you're and when you were giving your examples and things like that is like, and tell me this is too simplistic, but it almost yes. reminds me of Aesop fables, you know? Where, Absolutely. Yeah, where you kind of, the way that you do is you got the hook and then the conflict and there really is a moral of the story. Would you say that when we're writing stories for training that we are doing more of those types of stories where we really are trying to find, you know, sticking the landing by finding the moral of the well, story and, yeah. and spelling it out, right? Because a lot yeah. of times you'll read stories and they don't always tell you what the moral of the story is, but mm-hmm. we've got to be explicit about it. Would you say yeah, that? Well, I, I, I would agree with you. And I always tell my clients, specific is terrific. So you, you got to give them the, you know, I don't want to say you got to spoon feed them. You got to leave the little breadcrumbs like Aesop's fables, right? I'm imagining Hansel and Gretel running through the forest, right? And it's okay. You know, we're not writing uh, Faulkner's novel here, right? This is not, you know, I'm not asking instructional designers to be Jerry Seinfeld or, or Martin Scorsese. What you need to do is you have to distill it down in those micro learning bite size moments so people remember them. And that's where that story structure and the story arc can help you. Yeah. Yeah. And you got to have the confidence, right? You know, so many times I hear instructional designers and trainers, facilitators say, well, I, you know, I, I can't tell a story about me. I mean, oh, you know, that's or people on LinkedIn say, you know, I never tell personal stories. And I'm like, why not? Because again, your story is the only differentiator you have. It's the only way you're going to stick out and make a difference and rise above the noise. There is so much content out there. You know this. You've created zillions of content. You've been doing this for so many years. What what, what do people remember when they walk out the door? Well, you know, the Avinhas curve says that within 24 hours, 80% of the learning is going to disappear. What they're going to remember is your emotional wake. They're going to remember how you made them feel. And the feelings come in the stories we tell. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to. We have to tell the stories. And a lot of times people are afraid. They're afraid to delve into their own story and they haven't practiced them. Oh, my God. You got to practice, 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 practice. Stand in front of the mirror and practice. I've been telling stories for 50 years. You know, people say, oh, my God, how do you do that? I'm like, well, I'm telling stories all the time everywhere I go. There's an opportunity for a story and I'll practice them in low stakes environments. That's the other thing instructional designers get hooked up in or, or tripped up in. They, they wait until it's showtime for go time. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You've got to practice those stories in low stake moments 
or in front of audiences that are going to give you a break. It's okay. It's okay. I tell a lot of stories at the Moth Grand Slam. I do that here in Seattle. There's a storytelling venues where you can go or fresh ground stories. I mean, fine or Toastmasters or even just standing in front of the mirror at a, at a cocktail party. Start telling more real, relevant, brief stories. I always say to people, have you ever been at a, at a dinner or a party and, and someone's telling a story and you want to like poke your eyeballs out? <laughs> yes. My oldest son tries to tell a story. I'm like, where's the point? <laughs> story cooking. You're like, oh my God, I'm going to kill myself. So I, I say you want to avoid death by story or death by PowerPoint. And that's why you have to activate emotion and have the three golden rules. Be real, be relevant, be brief. My God, please help us all. <laughs> and then I hear you saying a lot of, of our examples, Teresa, are for when you're doing instructor-led training. Sure. How do you differentiate writing stories and telling stories and sharing them from instructor-led where you can kind of pull it out of your pile that you have Mm -hmm. squirreled away versus, okay, well, you're writing something that's going to be self-paced and they're just going to need to watch the story or something like that. How do you differentiate kind of writing stories for those two different? Well, I think some of it has to do with your learning model, right? Your if-thats, right? And I'm probably not saying the language, right? But when you go through your your e-learning modules, when they click this, you know this is going to pop up and that's going to pop up. So you want to have different stories given where the learner ends up navigating and going. And then that will pop into your learning module. And you could also maybe anticipate where you envision the stories or, or the learner is going to be at any given time. Or maybe you could have them auto select through a menu. And then when they hit this one menu, then and this story pops up, right? So if you know in advance what some of the emotions are going to pop up or you pre-program different stories based on those five emotions we talked about, if the learner is going down a certain trail, then you know your e-learning content is going to pull those types of stories. Did, did that answer your question? Yeah. I also, I encourage people to write out problem scenarios and then increase from you know, easy to more difficult problem scenarios to work to yep. learn through all the different component skills that add up to somebody being able to solve a whole problem on their own. How, what do you differentiate between storytelling and scenario writing? Ah, uh, yes. Well, what you've said and what you very well articulated is there's a difference between storytelling and story crafting, right? Mm-hmm. So I've got a background in performance, right? So I will coach and do train the trainers and help people get their story straight or get them to understand, you know, when you move from left to right, that's the natural way your eyes read. So if you're telling a story, start from the left and end center stage, right? So boom, stick the landing. That's a presentation. That's a storytelling type. Then there's the story crafting. How do I write it? How do I find it? How do I mine it? And that's where we move to the chunk outline and some of those story personas. I've got a fear story around onboarding and feeling like I'm not going to measure up. So how do I get some of those stories around that? And maybe we have a compilation of people in the existing structure of the organization that have talked through their exact fears that maybe you know the audience is feeling because you've done your homework, you've done your needs assessment, 
and you know what some of the most common challenges are for that new hire or that person coming to a sales quota and having to ramp up quickly. And within 90 days, if they don't make their quota, they're out the door, right? So you really have to be intentional about where you know your learner is going to be in their learning journey and then craft your stories and your learning around that. And you can set that up in advance, but you've got to do your homework so that you know what is your learner feeling right now and how can I deliver the MacGuffin so that they don't go sideways or quit, right? Or, you know, oh, that was a fun training. I'll never use any of it. Thanks. You know, that's cool. You've got to hold your learner able to enact these things. And I'm all for e-learning because it's helpful for scaling. And there's nothing like the human connection, right? So, what are they doing with that? Leave space in your e-learning for maybe them to record them putting some of this stuff into play and have them do it in two minutes or less. Boy, oh boy, you're going to see where the learner is struggling pretty quickly. And you're also going to get them to feel self-confident because they're actually doing it. They're putting it into practice. You've got to do it. This has been so great, Teresa. And so if you could just give kind of your last and best advice for those who are looking to become an instructional designer, what would you tell them to consider and to remember? And what's their, stick the landing tree. So how do we wrap this up and, uh, and, and tell them, you know, an important note for becoming an idol. To be an idol, tell more relevant brief stories and your learner will love you and act on what you teach. Remember, it's the actions you take and the intentions you make that enables your learner to grow, thrive, and prosper. Tell more stories. Your brain loves it, and so will your learner. Beautiful. And then just say one more time, Teresa, all the different wonderful resources that you have out on your website. Tell them where they can find you, how they can follow yeah. you, things like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Please find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Teresa Franco McCarrow out there. <laughs> I also have a website, www.ystoryworks.com. So it's just like it sounds all together. We've also got a YouTube channel. And if anybody has a story they're working on or they feel stuck, they can reach out to me via my website on the Calendly link and schedule a 20-minute free consult. They can download my chunk outline. Also, if you mention this podcast... I am happy to give any of your listeners a 10% discount on any type of story coaching program they choose. So there you go. That's that's my gift to you and your learners. And stories are powerful. They have the power to fire up the imagination and lift the soul and enact behavior change. And that's what we all want as learners. And that's what we want as instructional designers. We want our stories to activate the behavior change we're trying to seek. I just love it. This was just such a joy. Thank you so much for your offer for our listeners. And thank you so much for being here, Teresa. And um, I hope to see you inside the Academy. Oh, absolutely. In fact, we're going to do a storytelling workshop in the Academy. Absolutely. That's on my bucket list. We're doing it. So I'm going to follow up with you after this. I, I want to do it because we need to tell more real relevant stories. Stories connect us. And I believe that human connection is a human right. And the best way to do that is through the stories we tell. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. 
You can find the show notes for this episode at idlecourses.com. If you like this podcast and you want to become an instructional designer and online learning developer, join me in the Idle Courses Academy where you'll learn to build all the assets you need to land your first instructional design job, early access to this podcast, tutorials for how to use the e-learning authoring tools, templates for everything course building, and paid instructional design experience opportunities. Go to idlecourses.com forward slash academy and enroll or get on the wait list. Now get out there and build transcendent courses.